Just gonna run this dog to see if we can find any type of uh, human remains that are left. Listen to Where Secrets Go to Die, The Disappearance of Derek Hennigan. From the Detroit Free Press, a new podcast set in the woods of Michigan's Upper Peninsula. Available on Apple, Spotify, Freep.com, or wherever you get your podcasts. For the first time in 2021, and the last time to cover this Notre Dame football season, welcome to the Pot of Gold Extra Point with Carter Carls and Tom Noy. We are here to dissect and discuss and decipher Notre Dame's 31-14 loss to number one Alabama in, quote, the Rose Bowl played in Arlington, Texas on Friday afternoon. Who would have thought going into the semifinal weekend that the Notre Dame-Alabama game would have been the closer of the two semifinal games? Because after Alabama-Notre Dame, it was Ohio State working Clemson 49-28. So it'll be Alabama and Ohio State in a national championship game in Miami Gardens, Florida, about 10 days from now. Until then... Do we have a lot to discuss? Is there a lot to discuss from this Alabama game, Carter Carls? I think there is. Is there? What do we got? Like, what's 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 the number one hot take? Because you were there, you and Tyler James were at AT and T Stadium for the semifinal game for the Rose Bowl. Which, as Sean, as I pointed out on Twitter last night, when Sean McDonough says the Rose Bowl is still the Rose Bowl, absolutely not. Is it the Rose Bowl? when it's played in the Metroplex, in your Metroplex of Dallas, Texas? Biggest takeaway is Notre Dame has made a lot of strides as a program since last facing Alabama in the 2012 national title game. However, they are still very, very far from Alabama, in my opinion. And it just speaks to the strides that Alabama has made as a program and how much Nick Saban has evolved as a head coach. And so uh, I think Eric Hansen had a pretty good analogy for this last week, and I'll steal it for him. It's like Notre Dame was running four 740s and Alabama was running four 540s. So Notre Dame was like, man, we, we got to run four fives. And then they finally, after all these years, got to where they ran a four 540. Mm-hmm. But Alabama also evolved, and now they run a four two five forty. And And so – it just, I think uh, the natural reaction is to be really upset about a, a big blowout loss like this, and I get it. But I think you also have to acknowledge the crazy year that this was, undefeated regular season, beating number one ranked Clemson. You, you can still take some positives. Uh, uh, Back to back to back to back, 10 win seasons. So certainly it's not doom and gloom totally. But in the day, it's about winning a national championship for this football program. And even though they've gotten to the playoff, there's still, uh, still a long ways to go before they catch Alabama, Clemson, and Ohio State, and especially Alabama. 
for as everything as this program has done, and we can we can roll this all the way back to 2012 when they played Alabama in the national championship. For everything this Notre Dame football program has done to close the gap on the Alabamas and the Clemsons and the Ohio States of the college football world, there still remains a gap. And I don't know, I don't know if this program, and this is this is a big bigger picture question as far as not just the football program. But I don't know if this program or this institution is equipped to close that gap against Alabama. Like, let, let, let's face it, Alabama, Clemson, Ohio State, they're college football programs, but they're college football factories. Like, they're churning out players. It, it was so funny listening to all the analysis leading up to this game about, well, Kyle Hamilton's got to play really, really well for Notre Dame to have a chance. Jeremiah Wusukoromoa has got to play really, really well for Notre Dame to have a chance. And Kyron Williams has to play really, really well. Those are three guys. Like Alabama and Clemson, and to an extent Clemson, but Alabama and Ohio State right now, they have like 23 of those guys. Yeah. Like Alabama has a starting tight end that also returns kicks. <laughs> like that's that's absolutely nuts. Like we're gonna we're gonna roll out our starting tight end to go and return kicks because that's how deep and talented that this football team is. Like at, at, as, as many steps as Notre Dame has taken and the 10 win seasons and the, the double overtime victory over Clemson and getting back to a second college playoff for the, for, for the second time in three years, there's still a large gap between Notre Dame getting to the college football playoff and Notre Dame winning a college football playoff game, especially against these teams. Like Alabama, Alabama is just on a totally different level than what Notre Dame is. Like Notre Dame's got Kyle Hampton, Jeremiah Wusukoromoa, and Kyron Williams, and then who else? Like they're not beating, they're not beating Alabama the way this roster is currently constructed. Um, just to speak to Alabama, they lost four players on offense to the top fifteen overall picks in the draft last year. They lost two All Americans this season. In their center, Landon Dickerson, season-ending injury. Wide receiver, Jalen Waddle, season-ending injury. And they still look like that. Like, that is insane. And, uh, you know, I, I think when you look at Notre Dame, the declaring issue is wide receiver, cornerback, uh, quarterback. Like, it's the skill position, guys, uh, on the outside and that, at quarterback that's been holding them back. Ian Book had a, had a great career at Notre Dame. He won a lot of games. But against these top, top teams, it just wasn't where you need to be to be at a championship level. And especially, you know, I thought it was really fascinating last night. Uh, Barton Simmons uh, at 247 Sports tweeted that, you know, wide receivers are the new defensive line. Like defensive line traditionally – that's kind of how you build your program. That's how you, uh, you know, in the trenches, you need to build a, a winning program that way. Now it's wide receiver. Now, now that everything is so offensive minded and, and, and passing the, passing the football is, is so huge. You need a CD lamb, a Jerry Judy, uh, a Devonte Smith on the outside. You look at all the top teams in, in college football or, or the other top teams in college football, mm -hmm. you know, from uh, 
from Garrett Wilson and Chris Alave to Devontae Smith and Amari Rogers and, you know, traditionally Justin Ross, T Higgins, those kind of guys. Notre Dame has not had a guy like that. And when they do have guys close to that talent, like Chase Claypool, they're not producing in a way like some of these other guys are. Uh, and so it's kind of the glaring issue to me that they need some wide receivers that can create separation. They need wide receivers that can get that 80 yard touchdown. Uh, you know, last night I was kind of doing some tracking and uh, through the first three quarters, Ian book, not, not just completion, but attempt. He only attempted two on target. So like non throwaway two passes beyond six yards from the line of scrimmage. Like he was just not even attempting uh, uh, passes down the field last night. And, you know, you can blame book for, for not taking those chances. And you can also blame the wide receivers for not getting open down the field. And, and to me, that that's really the glaring issue is offensively, they just do not have the firepower to keep up with a team like Alabama. It was such a discrepancy when watching the offense, when both offenses had the ball, like when, when Alabama had the ball, Mac Jones is going to drop back. And it's almost like, it's almost like a video game. What direction he's going to go. Like the touchdown pass that he threw to Billingsley, the tight end, you saw Billingsley get a clear open free reign jump right off the line of scrimmage. Nobody even touched him as he started his route. And the minute that he started his route, I'm I'm thinking, He's going to 19. Like he's right there. There's not going to be anybody around. Throws it to him in the back of the end zone for a touchdown. So it was almost like it, it's like an embarrassment of riches. Mac Jones, I'm going to go here. I'm going to go there. I'm going to dump it off here. I'm going to dump it off. Like every time he dropped back, it was almost like he knew exactly what mismatch to exploit with this wide receiver or that tight end or that running back. And then opposite, when Ian Book drops back, it's almost like he's thinking there's nobody open and so much of this falls on Ian book. And obviously it's going to, because he's the quarterback. Yes. But people texted me last night, Ian book stinks. He's this, he's that. Some of this has to fall on the wide receivers. Like you have to get separation. Somebody's texting me. Somebody's emailing me last night saying it's, it's so disappointing that Ben Skoranek, Avery Davis, uh, Javon McKinley, Joe Wilkins haven't been developed. Well, wait a minute. If they were developed, I don't think any of those four guys, they're great guys. They're good guys. Like they're, they're, they're fine guys, but none of those four guys are going to make a defensive coordinator stay up late at night, trying to figure out how they're going to stop them in the, in the scheme. Like they're complimentary players. How many Notre Dame football players, how many Notre Dame wide receivers would crack the starting rotation at Alabama? Zero. Yeah, I mean, and it's also concerning, like, they have had some high-caliber, like, four- to five-star recruits at wide receiver that just haven't really produced. Javon McKinley was, you know, all-world out of high school, and it took him until this year to, to, to do much. Um, and he had a fine year, but, man, in, in terms of expectations, he, he certainly underachieved. And then you think of Jordan Johnson. It's like, how can that guy not see the field? You think of Braden Lindsey, the, the one guy who can create separation with his speed, no doubt. And he 
doesn't even eclipse 100 yards on the season. I mean, I, I just don't even get it. I don't know if it's a uh, developmental issue where it's, you know, the wide receivers coach just can't develop these guys or if it's a quarterback issue or if it's misevaluations on the recruiting trail, but it might, it might also, it might also just be a trust issue. Like every time, every time Braden Lindsay gets in a position to be an impact player or to expand his role, something sets him back this year. It was the hamstring. Now last year, last year, Braden Lindsay sat out a game last year because he was tired. It was fatigue. He was fatigued and couldn't go. So I, I just think there's there are times in, in Brian Kelly's system where he just doesn't he, he just has to get to a point where okay I may not trust this guy but for us to have a chance I've got to put player A B or C in this position and see what he does like uh, somebody somebody's emailing me last night why aren't we seeing Jordan Johnson and Xavier Watts well they haven't played all year they literally they literally they haven't played all year now you're gonna put guys two guys like that two two freshmen into a game against Alabama in the college football playoff semifinal, it's just not going to happen. No. And, I mean, I think there were a, a couple positives when it comes to, like, skill position. Like, Kyron Williams was a breakout player. Like, guy, that guy was an absolute, like, anything they – any way they tried to describe him, a beast, a warrior, whatever last night. Like, Kyron Williams – and we were tweeting about it during the game. He he was going to need an ice bath, an IV, anything that they had at halftime because that guy is just an absolute gamer. Yeah, uh, he he showed up to play, uh, and and man, I, I was getting worried for him for a little bit. I was like, man, are they going to give him forty touches? Like this is crazy. Uh, but <laughs> the season he had, I don't know how many people expected it, but he he certainly. Uh, to, to get over a thousand yards, thirteen rushing touchdowns on the season, huge for Kyron Williams. Uh, Chris Tyree is, you know, the amount of touches he had, I think, was like the workload he had down the stretch was a little disappointing. But I think you like what you see from him and this running back group. Like, here's here's probably where you like maybe the silver lining for everyone who thinks the wide receiving group is just never going to get better and it's just stinks. And there, there's just no, they're never going to have that elite guy. That's what the running back group looked like two years ago. Like that, like after Dexter Williams left, it was kind of, oof, uh, Jafar Armstrong running back. Like, okay. <laughs> like uh, Tony Jones jr. Becoming the, the lead running back. I mean, it was a concern. Uh, at the running back position, Autry Denson just did not recruit at the level that Notre Dame needs uh, needs Notre Dame to recruit. And then they bring in Lance Taylor, and they get Kyron Williams. They get Chris Tyree. This upcoming recruiting class, they're getting Audric Estime, a four-star running back who was the leading rusher in the whole state of New Jersey. And now the outlook is promising. They'll have Williams and Tyree kind of as that as that tandem next year. Um, you know, the tight end position, they, they got a real upgrade in Michael Mayer. I mean, that's the All-American in the making at Michael Mayer. So is it impossible? Like, here's the thing. Wide receivers should be the easiest position to recruit. They grow on trees. There are so many wide receivers to choose from. And it's probably the easiest position to play early. Not, not, in, not at Notre Dame, but generally. 
it's a, it's a position where you don't need the full grasp of the playbook. You don't need to be an offensive, like an offensive lineman. They've got to gain 40 pounds and they, they've got to learn all these techniques. Wide receivers, you know, they can see the field early without having to gain all this weight or improve all their speed or like learn the playbook as much. So generally wide receivers, you should be able to recruit them, you know, pretty well if you're a good program and developing them, like you can get them on the field early. Uh, You see Alabama, Ohio state Clemson, you see them play freshmen. Uh, Sometimes they don't, sometimes they do, but it's possible there. And so for the fact that it's not happening at Notre Dame, I think it just speaks to a glaring issue that they're not only unable to recruit, uh, you know, guys that end up being spectacular, but they're not getting any of these guys on the field early. It just doesn't really make any sense to me. And we've spent the first 20 minutes of this podcast talking offense because let's face it, the defense, I, I have I have no qualms about what the defense did on Friday against Alabama. They, Alabama scored the, its fewest amount of points all season, 31. They only scored 10 points in the second half. But we knew going into this game that for Notre Dame to have a chance, it was going to have to put on a show offensively. Like this was not going to be a 17-10 football game. It was you got to score about 30 points. You're going to have to score 40 points maybe if they were going to go up and down the field. So – Defensively, yeah, the Irish held their own. Kyle Hamilton made some plays. Jeremiah Wusukoromoa made some plays. Some of the other guys maybe didn't make as as many plays. But this falls squarely on the offense because for as much as Brian Kelly and Tommy Reese talked about being aggressive and going for it and taking chances, you never really got the feeling with this offense, really from the start, like right from the jump, you never got the feeling that this offense was going to be able to push the ball down the field and make the plays possible to consistently find the end zone. I mean, I've been saying it for a few weeks now. The way this offense is constructed is not a winning football, uh, a championship football, you know, style. It's, it's not. 1945 style. This is, <laughs> thing. this is a stone age offense. The amount it's, of- black, it's black and white, no face mask, grainy film footage. Let's yeah. kind of maybe throw a pass here or there and, and, and run behind this offensive line. It's not the way offenses are constructed in 2021. To not attempt to pass beyond six yards of the line of scrimmage, to, to attempt only two of those passes through three quarters, that's not going to win you a football game. Nope. You know, when they had that 15-play, 75-yard touchdown drive, it was impressive, but it's like you can't do that the whole game. That's just not going to happen. You're going to have a penalty. You're going to have a turnover. You're, you're, you know, you can't just rely on converting every single third down and, you know, praying that in the red zone you convert for a touchdown. Like it's just not going to work every single time. Okay, that 15-play drive, here's a question for you. Of those 15 plays that went 75 yards at eight, up, eight minutes, they're late in the first quarter, early second quarter. How many completed passes to the tight ends? Um, you're signaling three. Zero. Zero. How many completed passes to the wide receivers? Zero. You don't use the tight end. You don't use the wide receiver. They relied on basically Kyron Williams left, Kyron Williams right, 
Kyron yeah. Williams out of the backfield and a couple of runs from Chris Tyree. You're not, you're not going to win a college football playoff semifinal game by doing that. Nope. Yeah. And, and so I don't know. I, I, I think, Everyone was all over Tommy Reese this year. He's a rev- he's a revelation. He's an incredible <laughs> offensive coordinator, and look what he's done. You know, I think he did – I think he exceeded expectations in year one, no doubt. I think, you know, what he did through the first ten games, he played to this team's strengths. Now, you know, we talk about, oh, Stone Age offense. Maybe that's kind of how this team had to be constructed given the personnel, right? right. Like, yep. You know, they're not going to have, uh, you know, absolute speedsters on the outside. So, yeah, you're probably not going to take a lot of deep shots down the field. So I get that to an extent. However, the fact remains, this team was not built to play from behind. They were not built to hang with athletic secondaries. Guys like Patrick Sertan can shut down any wide receiver on this roster. And so – there, there is that fundamental issue. And I wonder if it was just specific to this year, like, Hey, this is our personnel. We're going to have to play this way. Or if they plan to do this every year, they're going to run it back next year and do the same thing. They're going to say, Hey, well, we got Michael Mayer. We got uh, the great O line. And we got a yeah, but look, whoa, great O line. Whoa. They're, they're losing everybody. They are, but, you have to expect them to still be pretty good, but pretty good. I, let's go. Let's go pretty good, not great. Yeah, pretty good. And I, I'm just to say, young quarterback. You know, maybe maybe they look to do the whole the, the the same thing again. Hey, well, let's just make this guy a game manager. Let's lean on Kyron Williams and uh, let's just dump it off the tight end. And you know that looks great when you're playing Louisville. It looks great when you're playing USF. But when you were playing Alabama and Clemson. It does not. And I'll say another thing is, you know, if you if you're just that stats geek, you know, people people were going after the game. Oh, they only lost by 17 and they had a <laughs> they had a chance to make it a 10 point game at the end. The score is not indicative of how that game went. No. Alabama was held to their fewest amount of possessions since 2015. Nine possessions. Notre Dame just milked the clock, milked the clock, milked the clock. And Alabama basically took out Devontae Smith and Najee Harris early fourth quarter. If the game truly went the way Alabama, you know, if they wanted to just keep putting their foot on the gas, it could have been like 55 to seven. It would have been, it would have been a repeat of the SEC championship game where every single time Alabama got the ball, you knew they were going to score a touchdown. And it got to the point there in the third quarter where you, you figure, okay, they're going to they're gonna come right out. They're going to come right out after halftime and score. And, and then the, the floodgates are going to open. And it was almost like Nick Saban realized we're up 21-7. They're not going to score enough to keep up with us. If we can just get one more touchdown and just kind of let the clock run and get out of here, we're playing another football game. Like we have, we have, big, we have a bigger goal in mind than to beat Notre Dame by 35 by 40 points, by whatever margin we're going to wind up beating Notre Dame. We've got to keep these guys healthy for the national championship game. I think Alabama backed off a little bit there in the second half with guys like Najee Harris and Devontae Smith. And it was like, if we get a score, great. But if we keep the clock running, Notre Dame's not getting any end zone against us. They're just they're just not going to make enough plays to score enough points to beat us. And I would say, you know, last night proved Alabama should win the Joe Moore Award. 
I can't recall a single time Notre Dame got pressure last night outside of the time Drew White came close, Mac Jones spun out of it and completed it downfield. That's the only time I remember Notre Dame getting pressure last night. Uh, and, and then on the outside, Nick McLeod, Clarence Lewis, pretty much got picked on all night. And yep. I like how Notre Dame's defense adjusted. They basically flipped the script and said, okay, we're just going to go all out defending Najee Harris. We're going to pl- plug the run, and, and we're going to defend that well. And in the second half, you know, they got a couple stops. Najee Harris didn't really do that much. And, you know, I thought that they, they, they did a lot better than they did in the first half. But, you know, it still kind of showed that, you know, they still have a ways to go at cornerback. And, you know, you're going to get Clarence Lewis back next year. Nick McLeod, we'll see if he comes back. He's eligible to do so with the new COVID-19 rules. Um, and they certainly have some other guys in that position, and they're adding guys in the recruiting class. But, um, yeah, defensively, got a couple stops, but still not indicative of the score. No, Alabama, when they wanted to, could move the ball at will. They were at one point averaging like 20 yards of play through their first, you know, uh, I think through the first half maybe. Um, and so – yeah, I, I think, you know, Notre Dame will miss Clark Lee. This new D.C. hire uh, will be big. But yep. before we go into 2021, I want to get your thoughts on the, the postgame theme from Brian Kelly. Don't get me started. Like, I was almost going to lead with this, but I didn't want to come off as a whiny writer covering a Notre Dame football team that just got waxed again. But I, – I, if if Notre Dame fans, if Notre Dame fans can say that they were disappointed in the result of Friday's game against Alabama, I think the media, local, national, whatever, whatever area of media that covers this team on a daily basis, can say they were disappointed in Brian Kelly's post game. Because let's start with let me start with it uh, talking about playmakers like Brian Kelly got it all wrong when he went, when, when he went off on his tangent of not stopping Najee Harris and not stopping Devonte Smith and not having an answer for Mac Jones and having all the skill guys like it, that's, that that's not what this game was about it, it, because nobody has stopped those guys all year. That's why, that's why the three, they're three of the finalists for the Heisman trophy this week, yeah. next week. It's, you don't have those playmakers. Like you don't have the counter for a Najee Harris. You don't have a guy that's going to break a game open that you can go to and say, all right, go make a play for us the way Alabama has. So uh, I think Brian Kelly got that wrong when it came to the playmaking and the skill and the skill player. But man, I, I, I don't know. I, I don't know what direction to go when, when he starts saying when he's, when he, when Brian Kelly is upset. Okay. When Brian Kelly is upset that the local media is not congratulating him on a 10 and two season, <laughs> like how, how often have we sat and listened to Brian Kelly say, this is my X amount of year in as a, as a coach. When he says it every year, this is my 28th year in college football. This is my 27th, whatever year it is. If you've been around college football that long, you better understand how the media works and how we work. And, and to expect that 
we're going to walk up to Brian Kelly in a Zoom press conference or in a hallway somewhere when we see him and give him a pat on the back and say, hey, good job going 10 and 2. <laughs> Stuff like that happens might happen at Grand Valley State. That's not the way big boy football works. It's just, it's just not. And I was, uh, I mean, I was, I was totally disappointed to hear him go off on that tangent and say, well, uh, it would be nice to hear, it would be nice to hear some of our local guys congratulate me. No, it's not happening and it shouldn't happen. It was funny because after the press conference, this national reporter kind of walked up to me and was like, um, I, I was on the Saban press conference and I'm just reading the transcript. Did, did, did that actually happen? Like, I, um, he sounded, was he as, a, as upset? He was like, that, that transcript was hilarious. Like I was laughing reading through it. And um, yeah, I, I thought, I didn't think it was a great look. Uh, it's a bad look after a game like that. Like, yeah. especially, because, especially because it was what the third question in. Like, well, and, and it wasn't an unfair question. You know, it came from Pete Sampson at The Athletic. He just said, hey, what, what do you guys need to do to close the gap? I mean, mm-hmm. is that an unfair question? Um, and I know that he has been asked that a good amount of times, but this is a new day, a new game, a college football playoff. He had, he had just finished this season. It's a fair question. And – you know, the fact that he kind of balked at it and couldn't answer it may speak to him not having an answer at that moment in time. Um, but at the end of the day, like, it, it just – I didn't think anything that was hurled at him was incredibly unfair. And so, you know, he, he could have avoided the question with without the attitude. I mean, I, like, I don't know. I, I, I want to be careful because – it's not ruining my day or anything like that, but it is just kind of like a weird, like when it was happening, you're like, but why? Like, what is going on? Um, when when it's happening, I'm sitting here thinking, are you freaking kidding me? <laughs> like, seriously, like it, it, what, what is the, what, what is, what is Brian Kelly? Okay. This is Brian Kelly. You're the head coach of the most prestigious college football program in the country. You've been around the, the game of college football as a head coach, Grand Valley State, Cincinnati, now Notre Dame. What do you think you're, the role of the media that covers you should be? Like, should we I, – I think part of him believes that we should be happy that Notre Dame got to this college football semifinal, playoff semifinal, won 10 games, beat Clemson in double overtime during the regular season, and be like, hey, coach, you know – Tough game today, but you know, you had, you had a heck of a year. And I, I just I just find it I just find it a little bizarre for for the media as a whole. In a situation like that, whether you're covering Notre Dame or you're not covering Notre Dame, whether you're a local media person or a non-local, if you're a national or whatever, this came from somebody that that apparently cover I want to say covers Alabama. To pick a post-game press conference, a post-game Zoom press conference, and tell a coach congratulations on a, su- a successful season, I, I don't know where in the in the media handbook that, that 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 guy takes that page out of. Like, hey, coach, congratulations on a successful season. And Brian, here's Brian Kelly's response. I I, I punched the transcript up as we were talking. 
congratulations on a successful season. Brian Kelly's response. That would be nice if our local people felt that way, but they don't use any of those kinds of those terms. This is always about where our program needs to go. So I appreciate that. Where do, where, where do we even start with that comment? Well, here's the bottom line, okay? Like, and, and I understand when people – I think there are people who listen to this and say, hey, we like when Brian Kelly does this. Like, we, we want him to fire back and stand up for his players because that question insinuates that his players stink. You know, they, there are people that might feel that way. But the bottom line is if you're continually being asked that question – if you were continually losing at the big stage by this amount, you know, mm-hmm. the New Year's Six and the BCS graphic, we've all seen the graphic, right? Like it's, it is very apparent that at this big stage, Notre Dame does very poorly. It's very apparent that the talent gap is still there. And if you are tired of being asked that question, maybe the best solution would be to answer the solution and to have it to where that question isn't being asked. You know, that's to me, um, if, if a coach, you know, fully grasps the media, they should understand that like the media, I mean, there are unfair media. There are media that can suck for sure. But (laughs) they also speak speak for yourself, Carter. Yeah. Speak for myself. But, (laughs) But like my my thing is, if if he listened to this and and could kind of look look at it, take a step back and look at it, he will understand. Hey, this actually might help me. Like if if the whole thing is wide receivers and the whole thing is this, I'm not saying that we're smarter than him, but like that's kind of a, a an indicator that oh okay, well maybe I should should change. And Brian Kelly is a guy that has evolved that has adapted. Um, He is constantly looking at ways to adapt. And maybe he should take this as a a criticism that he can use to make his program better. Like that's not a a crazy thing to think. And maybe he disagrees. Maybe he says, no, it's not a talent issue. We've got all the talent. We just poorly coached the game or Alabama played really well that day. But he didn't say that. He, He had no explanation for it. And he, he kind of, you know, turned it back in, in their face. So that, that's the big – my big takeaway is, like, bottom line is if you're tired of being asked a question, then solve the solution or, or solve the issue. And you've been a head coach long enough to have a perspective on this. If, if Brian Kelly gathers all of us in, the room, in a room, and I'm talking newspaper writers, website guys – radio people, TV people, all the people in South Bend that cover this program on a daily basis. And what would you say? Maybe there's maybe 30 of us roughly, like off the top of my head, maybe maybe two dozen at least, right, that, that covers this program on a day-to-day basis from start to finish. 30? Something like that. Okay. If you take, if you take 30 of us and sit us in a room with Brian Kelly – for just a, a, a casual conversation, totally off the record. And he sits down with the local media and says, before we go any further, just give me a show of hands. How many people, how many people would think that we had a successful season in 2020 doing what we did 
during a pandemic. 10-2, and 9-0 and in the ACC, winning the ACC regular, cha- regular season championship, playing for an ACC outright championship for the first time in school history, beating Clemson, getting to the college football playoff, doing all this again in the middle of a pandemic. Show of hands, who would think that that was a successful season? I'd say 99% of us would raise our would raise their hand. I know I would. Yeah. I mean, I'd raise my hand. Absolutely. It's yeah. a successful season, but at that day and at that moment in time, the minute after a, a college football playoff semifinal goes sideways again, I don't think that's I don't think that's the storyline. It's not, not for us. No. No, absolutely. And and it's not the storyline for him. You know, do you think he is going to process the Alabama loss like Oh, well, we had a great season, so nothing to worry about. No, that's not what's going to happen. He's going to have to think about that Alabama loss and say, well, my gosh, if the gap is this immense, how can I fix it? And, you know, I think the thing is at Notre Dame, the academic restrictions, Ryan Kelly not being as involved in recruiting as the the top guys and and the the location, the weather, all these little different – all these little different things – for them to break, I think they can still break through. I do. But I think what it will take is that perfect season where all the stars align. Right. I'm thinking the LSU 2019 season, where both coordinators are at the peak of their powers and are about to become head coaches somewhere, where they have a quarterback who is a senior and absolute stud, where they've got, you know, uh, like LSU literally had so many players from that team get drafted. And, and like, I, I think it'll have to be like that. And then maybe a down year in college football where Alabama doesn't have Mac Jones, Devontae Smith, Najee Harris, and Jalen Waddle. Um, it, it's probably going to have to take something like that where a, a little luck's going to have to be evolved. Some stars are going to have to align. This was a year where they were they had an extremely veteran team, offensive line, quarterback, defensive line, wide receiver. They got a lot of veteran guys on this team. So, you know, you, you kind of look forward, and 2021 is going to be a tough year. I think the schedule is harder than people think. They're going to have a, fre- a, a new quarterback. They're going to have a new coordinator. Lots of I like I like how you caught yourself when you said they're. You almost said they're going to have a freshman quarterback. I, did. I caught that. Yeah. I caught that, Carter. You did. And then in the next couple of years, they're going to be playing Ohio State and Clemson. <laughs> Hello. I mean, <laughs> the challenge over the next few years is huge, and they're not going to have a veteran team like this at least until 2022, and so. You know, the stars kind of have to align for this group, I I really think. And that doesn't mean it's impossible. I mean, how many many programs can say they've been in the college football playoff more than once? Only five. 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 And so that is a big accomplishment in and of itself. And when you're measuring yourself against Alabama, it's, you know, going doom and gloom. Oh, my gosh, the gap between us. I understand that, but the gap between Alabama and everyone else is huge. Like how many teams would have lost by 17 plus to Alabama? Right. Probably all, but a couple few teams in college football. 
And so when you're constantly measuring yourself against Alabama and Clemson, yeah, it, it, it can be unfair because it's like, well, who isn't going to get blown out by these teams? Who isn't, you know, lacking in the talent department? But when you're the University of Notre Dame, that's what you have to do. That's your goal. That's all you care about is winning a national championship. Uh, when you've won four straight 10-win seasons, you've set the standard that a national championship is that next step. And so to, to think in these terms is not illogical. It's, it's not you know, fanciful. It is something that they should achieve to do. And if the stars align, I think they can do it. But that's the problem. The stars have to align. And that's not something that Alabama or Clemson has to really uh, worry about. Okay, one more quote from Brian Kelly, and I'll let this go because I've had a hard time letting this go. I'm, I've been thinking about it. I, I thought about it. I woke up at like 5 o'clock this morning. And I was still thinking about Brian Kelly and his post game when he says, this is always about where our program needs to go. Well, duh. <laughs> it's like, absolutely. Even, uh, you know, I'll roll back. I'll roll back to, to 1987, way before your time. And my, my team, the Los Angeles Lakers, just won the NBA title. And at the victory parade outside the forum in Inglewood, one of the first things that Pat Riley says as they're celebrating that NBA world championship, he says, I guarantee next year we're going to win it again. Because as a coach, as a media member, as anything, as for anybody who follows a professional or a college team on a day-to-day basis, it's always, Brian, let me, let me, let me say this very clearly it's always about where the program needs to go. Like what's next. It doesn't matter that you've won 10 games, at least 10 games, four consecutive seasons. It doesn't matter that you've been to the college football semifinal twice out of two years, two times out of the last three. It matters that you have to keep making, taking those steps. And that's what people want to know is, boy, this season was really good. And we've said it and we'll say it, a thousand times between now and the, the season opener against Florida State on Labor Day Sunday night in Tallahassee, it was a successful season. But what's next? Like you can't you can't say we're going to hang our hat on ten on four straight ten win seasons and take next year off. That's not going to happen at Notre Dame. So absolutely, Brian Kelly, it's always about where the program needs to go. Because until you get back to where this program was in 1988, and that's now 32 years and counting, people are always going to say, that's great, but next year be better. Man, speaking some bars, Tom. Speaking some bars. I'm telling you, I was so hot last night <laughs> listening, listening to that press conference. Like I, I kind of had my column idea ready to roll. And then I saw that and I'm like, okay, now do I want to come off as the whiny South Bend Tribune media member, columnist, complaining about a coach? Like, I I just don't, I I don't understand the fact that Brian Kelly is disappointed that we're, we're not in his corner. Yeah. But that's not our job to be in in, in somebody's corner. Like twisted for sure. It's and and see, it's his. There's history for me, 
and I'll, let me get into this get into, get into this a little bit. And it's totally this is totally off script, but there, it, there's history for me covering the University of Notre Dame program the way I have in some sort of capacity: basketball, football, hockey, women's basketball. Fifteen years ago, there were people at the University of Notre Dame that wanted me taken off the Notre Dame men's basketball beat because they felt I was too critical of where the program wasn't going and the job that Mike Bray wasn't doing. And I said to Mike Bray, and I said to the people that wanted that change to happen, I said, look, my coverage has not changed the fa- over the course of the three years that you went to the NIT. If you were a winning program, you might have a different mindset and a different outlook and a perspective on this. And they said, you're too critical. You can't do this. You can't do that. The last I checked, and I just checked because we just got, we just got paid uh, uh, last week. Last I checked, Gannett's writing the checks to cover Tom Noy. Uh, we're not getting paid by the University of Notre Dame. For Notre Dame to expect us to be cheerleaders, to be positive when negative is required – it's, it's just disappointing because you think you're the University of Notre Dame. Like, you're the most prestigious college football program in the country. You, you're not supposed to expect writers to be patting you on the back and saying, hey, coach, you know what? We'll get them next year. Don't worry about it. That was a great season, but don't worry. We'll be back. It just doesn't work that way. And that's what's disappointing is the people over there and Brian Kelly late last night believing – that the media should be more positive and congratulating them when that's just not our freaking job. I agree. And I'm done. That's it. I'm done. I'm done with the rant. <laughs> yeah. You said it best though. It's, it's the fact that like, if you ask anyone on the beat, was this a successful season? They'd say, yeah, absolutely. But, but the circumstance the situation dictated for us to ask, oh, you just got borderline embarrassed by Alabama. Now, they didn't say that, but you did. You just lost to Alabama. What is the solution? What's the next step? What do you do? And it wasn't, it wasn't a question that was phrased poorly. It wasn't like he said, hey, you guys got destroyed. Hey, 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 you guys sucked again. What's the deal? <laughs> you know, it was just like, you know, you feel like you're close to Alabama. So what do you think you got to do next to, to close this gap? Because there's the gap still there. Wasn't like it was, uh, you know, some, some angry person hurling it at him. But, you know, I, I do agree, like, the sentiment about from fans that say, like, hey, like – the thing is, you can't totally dwell on the negatives on this season. And I think right. we both agree there. Like, and there, I've seen fans, you know, Twitter, message boards, who it's like total doom and gloom right now. It's like, oh, my gosh. Right. It's like, okay, let, let's look in hindsight on the whole season. What Notre Dame did after having their crazy outbreak in September, canceling the Wake Forest game, to get to this point took a lot. And, and it was a big deal. And they accomplished a lot this season, no doubt. But everything comes with a but. Absolutely it does. It is still – there's still a gap between them and Alabama. So, anyways, let's look forward to the 2021 season. Starts at Florida State, September 5th. 
just your overall impressions of this offseason, big storylines, what you're looking for for Notre Dame. Of course, you know what the big storyline is going to be. It's, I mean, it's obvious, right? There's a few. No, there's one, and everybody, else, everything else is two, three, four, and five, because it's the University of Notre Dame. When you've got a guy that went thirty and five walking out the door, who is going to play quarterback? Is it True Pine? Is it Tyler Buckner? Is it a graduate transfer that comes in and steps in and plays right away? I think you've got to figure out what the quarterback situation is and then everything else falls in line because then, then, I mean, it's, it's quarterback, then offensive line or offensive line slash wide receiver. And then I think before any of even those positions, it's quarterback one defensive coordinator, two. Yeah. Quarterback one defense coordinator, two. I will add in, you know, guys coming back, guys leaving early, the new COVID stuff. A guy like Kurt Heinisch just was going to be his last year, but could he come back? Um, then obviously, is it, what's Aaron Banks going to do? Like, he could probably get drafted day three at the very least. But if he came back, they could slide him to left tackle. He could, you know, develop into a day two, day one kind of draft pick if he built – another year up but is that something that's enticing if, if if the covid stuff is still here and they're still having to do masks and get tested every, every day all, all day every day do they want to do that again they might say hey i want to get paid like i'll do this but i want to get paid for it and so it'll also be interesting another storyline is where will covid be you know i think the optimistic the the optimistic outlook is all right, majority of people will be vaccinated before the 2021 season. But do we know that for sure? Will we still have to wear a mask? Will there be uh, full stadiums? Uh, will, will there be new strains of the coronavirus to worry about? Like, there's just there's still some uncertainty there. Um, will, all, will all four of us at the South Bend Tribune be covering the Toledo game at Notre Dame Stadium on September 11th? Or is it just one guy again? Yep. Absolutely. And so there, there's still some things to navigate through. Like I remember Eric and Tyler had Jack Swarbrick on the podcast about a month ago and he was uncertain. Like he, I think he was actually pessimistic about there being full stadiums last year from my mm -hmm. recollection. And so like, I, I still think we don't have clear answers on that and how that will affect players coming back, leaving early. I think that could be really interesting. Um, but yeah, I think there's a lot of holes to potentially fill. Like you're going to lose likely Liam Eikenberg, Robert Hainsey, potentially or, uh, potentially um, Aaron Banks, and then also Tommy Kramer on the offensive line. That's four starters that could all be leaving. Uh, quarterback, 35 as a start, 30 and five as a starter in Eden Book. Probably going to lose both of your defensive ends in Dalen Hayes and Ade Ogundeji. Uh, cornerback Nick McLeod, is he gone? Uh, Sean Crawford, he said that he's leaving. He's he's done. Like he, he, he right yeah. after six years. I, I love the Notre Dame people, and I get this in basketball all the time. But well, what do you mean he's a player A, B, or C wouldn't come back? It's like, look, this kid's been in college for six years. Would you have wanted to really stay in college for six years? At some point, you want to move on with your life. It's right. time for Sean Crawford to move on. Precisely, and 
then obviously you're going to lose Jeremiah Usakoromoa. That well, not obviously, but oh, it's obvious. Yeah. It's obvious. He's going to be a top ten pick, right? And so it's hard to pass that up. Uh, and so that's a lot of holes to fill that I just mentioned. Uh, you're going to need a new defensive coordinator, and I'll, I'll go ahead and ask you: You're Notre Dame defensive coordinator. I, I, maybe I don't know if you watch Cincinnati, Georgia, and, and watch Marcus Spree- Marcus Freeman do his thing. We obviously know who Mike Elston is. We know who Terry Joseph is. If you're just kind of thinking about who they should hire, who who are you kind of leaning toward? I'm going outside the box and getting a hot, young defensive coordinator like a guy like Marcus Freeman who has the reputation, who can go out and recruit, who can just bring bring a different voice into the room. Like Mike Elston, Terry Joseph. I don't know how much that that really moves the needle for me because yeah. I I'd, I'd rather have a I'd rather have an up and coming guy and maybe you 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 strike it big the way you did with Clark Lee like just elevating just elevating a guy that's been here I, I'm I'm not sold on, on on moves like that like I I want I want a guy that's going to bring a different voice bring a different perspective and maybe bring a different juice than what you've already had here for two, three, four, five years. I wouldn't be mad at the Mike Elson hire. Um, like continuity is not a bad thing. And this defense has played at a pretty high level under Clark Lee. Keeping the system, keeping Mike Elson, he certainly has the experiment experience. Not a bad idea. But man, I was watching Cincinnati against Georgia. And what was incredible was Cincinnati does not have high-end talent defensively. No. It's not like they've got all Americans everywhere, but the level that they were playing, I mean, he, he was just unbelievable. Like, it, I mean, I was shocked how good uh, Cincinnati's defense looked at times, despite the difference in talent, the, the apparent difference of talent between them and Georgia. And so you get a guy like that, I think Notre Dame could really overachieve with the talent they have. And that's kind of what they need to do. They need coordinators that can take their talent, that can take three-star guys and and make them extremely good players. And so I think Marcus Freeman, Mike Elston, can't really go wrong with either. Kind of depends what you want. It's either continuity or, hey, that next step. Like, it, it, you're probably risking more hiring Marcus Freeman from Cincinnati. But – it, you're probably gaining more if he works out. So interesting thing. I think it's a big decision for Brian Kelly. I asked Drew White and Kyle Hamilton about it after the game. And, you know, uh, Kyle said that he would, he would like to think that they'll get a guy as cerebral and as polished as Clark Lee. That's something that they want to keep. I think they're kind of done with this whole, a coach that yells at them and screams at them, you know, the chip long kind of guy. I don't, I don't think that's the appeal for, for Notre Dame. They want a guy like Clark Lee. Uh, you know, Mike Elston fills that mold. Marcus Freeman seems to fill that fit that mold. Don't think you can really go wrong with either quarterback. Let's also talk about that just for a second before we uh, leave. What are your thoughts? What we've seen Drew Pine a little bit. Yeah, Drew Pine's not doing it for me. I know Drew Pine's your guy. He almost came on our podcast last uh, year when he was in high school. But Drew Pine, it, it just doesn't, you know, at, at some point, he, he reminds me too much of a, a of an Ian Book, of Ian Book 2.0. Uh, 
or Ian Book Light, whatever you want yeah, to say. Correct. At, at some point, you got to get a guy that's in there that that looks the part that he's going to throw for 400 yards and just pick apart defenses. And maybe that's Tyler Buckner. You would have you can speak better on Tyler Buckner than I could because you've watched him, you've talked to him, you you've you've analyzed him. But I just I just don't think either Brendan Clark or Drew Pine really does what this program is going to need a quarterback to do here in the next couple of years. Tyler Buckner should be their starting quarterback. I'm just right from the jump. If if he comes in and doesn't, you know, live up to expectations, obviously you don't do that. But I I believe right now when he comes to campus, he'll be the best quarterback on campus. He'll he'll be the guy who I don't know if he's going to win a ton of games next year if he's the starting quarterback. He's not going to win 12 games, likely. But the, it's the ceiling. It's the potential. It's the, mm-hmm. the, the thought that, hey, he could become the next first-round quarterback drafted out of Notre Dame. He really could. He has the talent. He's got the intangibles, and he's got the mental makeup for it. There, there are some concerns, certainly, with his mechanics – but ultimately, uh, and his experience as well, only playing one season, one full season in high school. And so I think there, there are a couple concerns, and he will need to be developed. He's not going to come in day one and be you know, out of this world, I don't think. The good news is he's enrolling early. He'll be on campus, enrolled at Notre Dame next month in February. And that'll give him time to learn the playbook, Hopefully he'll have a full spring practice. We'll see what happens with COVID and all that. But, you know, if he can do that, that'll be huge. And to me, it, it just like with Drew Pine and Brennan Clark, your ceiling's a little bit capped. And maybe they win you more games in 2021 as the starter as opposed to Tyler Buckner. But but I, I see 2021 as kind of the rebuilding year. This is kind of your year to, you know – you know, you're going to lose probably two or three games. Um, this is not the championship team like it was this this year. Um, this isn't the team that has that aspirations, I don't think. Um, and so you need to be building toward the future. And you're not going to be doing that if you're going to go with guys with cap ceilings. But with Tyler Buckner, the ceiling is kind of unlimited. You know, like he could truly be that next first-round pick. So why not get a jump on playing him now and, and seeing what you got and then developing him toward that future? And, again, we'll see. He might arrive on campus and he might need some developing. He might need some mechanical tinkering. But Every uh, time you say mechanics, I have a flashback to Phil Dracovic. I know. That, that's the concern. <laughs> that, like, it, it, he is very much like Phil Dracovic in the fact that, like, he could be absolutely out of this world. Mm-hmm. He could also struggle with those mechanic stuff. So, um, and we've seen Phil Jerkovic push through that. So maybe Tyler Buckner doesn't play year one or year two, but then boom, year three becomes extremely good. Uh, but, you know, I, I, I think a lot of people have kind of uh, given up hope on him or, or like uh, kind of cooled off on him. I'm not quite ready to do that yet because some of the stuff that this kid can do when it comes to off-platform throws and the way that he can run the football, uh, I, I think he is just going to be an incredible playmaker 
who can take this team to the next level as long as he's developed right. Brian Kelly has not really developed his quarterbacks at a high level. If if he can find a way to do that with Tyler Buckner, then uh, this team, we, we talk about, hey, they need that LSU type of year. Well, maybe by the time Tyler Buckner is a junior or senior, that, that could kind of happen. So I don't think it's going to happen next year, but kind of you kind of have to build toward that year by playing him next year. How about we end with, with something totally out of the blue, but something that just totally that, that just broke about 10 minutes ago on Twitter. Texas has fired Tom Herman. So let the coaching carousel begin. Wow. <laughs> wow. You know that I, I will, I will actually mention this. Texas fans truly believe that they're going to get Brian Kelly as their head coach. What? I'm dead serious. They believe it. I have not heard that be uttered from any Notre Dame media member. And I think it is way out there. And I don't know why he would take that job. But I have seen a lot of Texas fans on message boards, even some reporters just say, oh, uh, they're going to be targeting him. And I just think that's interesting because – okay. This is this is why they think that they can, that that they can get Brian Kelly, and there's there's no, been no indication that Brian Kelly will talk to Texas or is Correct. interested in Texas from a big picture perspective. And I'm talking college football, college basketball. It doesn't matter who you are or where you coach, but every single coach in college football or college basketball believes that they have one more, one last move that they can make. Whether you're Nick Saban or Brian Kelly or Mike Bray or whoever. And I've seen it happen so many times in college basketball where you're like, wait a minute, that guy took that job? Like, who would have ever thought that Buzz Williams would have left Marquette for Virginia Tech? But he did. Now, who would have ever thought Buzz Williams would have left Virginia Tech for some school down in College Station, Texas? <laughs> Although that was a no-brainer. Everybody knew that Buzz Williams. But And then Tom Green leaving Marquette for Indiana or Brad Stevens leaving Butler for the Boston Celtics. Every coach, and I've been told this time and time again, every coach believes that they have one more big move, whether it's a money grab or a career grab or whatever it is, Every coach believes they still have one more move left in them. So we'll see where Texas goes now that they fired Tom Herman. It's going to be a crazy offseason. And, yeah, I mean, Brian Kelly may think, man, I've, I've done as much as I can in Notre Dame. I have four straight 10-win seasons, two college playoff appearance, appearances in, two, in three years. Um, and maybe he thinks he can't get to that next step. But, yeah, again, want to reemphasize – just kind of a rumor from Texas fans and a couple media members over there that I've just seen on, on message boards and, and you know, Twitter and whatnot. So not really any substance to that at this stage in time. And we're recording this at 11 central uh, on Saturday. So um, n- nothing really uh, out there at the moment, but I would also think if Texas is firing Tom Herman, something they did not have to totally do they probably already know who they're going to get. Steve or Sarkeesian. At least who they're going to target. Yeah, Steve Sarkeesian, that'll be interesting. They're going to be, you know, I mean, Texas, my thing is, 
I never take it seriously when they bring out these candidates because after after Mac Brown, they they said they were targeting Bill Belichick, John Gruden, <laughs> Nick Saban, and I'm oh, like, wait, no, 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 John Gruden's going to Notre Dame, haven't you heard? It's Gruden. Uh, it's it's John Gruden after Charlie Weiss or before Charlie Weiss. I forget. I, I can't follow the flow chart of what coach Bob Stoops or John Gruden or Urban Meyer yeah. is eventually going to take Meyer. Yeah. And Texas this time was Urban Meyer too. I mean, oh, it's, yeah. it's like, it's laughable. I'm just like, come on guys. Like are we serious? So, you know, I wouldn't take any stock in these rumors, but uh, we'll, we'll see. Obviously they're probably making a move here soon. Okay. So we'll leave it there. That, that's a good place to stop with a start stopping point with Tom Herman fired by Texas and Carter Carl's hearing rumblings from his Texas sources that they long for Brian Kelly. So the off season, if it's, if it, if, if it already wasn't going to be interesting, might get a little bit more interesting, but like you said, they may, they may just know who, who, who they've got lined up once they give Tom Herman the gate. So we'll see what happens. And that's it. So that will be the pot of gold extra point for the 2020 season. The next time we get together, hopefully Carter and I are in our special Zoom or our special podcast office, which we have not been in yet. We have a podcast office in the new South Bend Tribune building. Hopefully one day we'll use it. So Pot of Gold Extra Point wraps up 2020. We're done.